Well, good morning. Thank you guys for joining us, both in person and for those joining us online. You know, in the summer after my junior year at Lincoln Christian University, uh, I really didn't have any plans. I was just going to go home for the summer and spend, uh, spend some time with my parents. And it was the, the day before I was supposed to travel home, and I was walking through the parking lot, and this guy named Alex stopped me, and he said, hey, Garen, do you have any summer plans this, uh, this summer? I was like, oh, not really. He was like, oh, man, would you, uh, you want to do something called camp teams? And I was like, sure, why not? So basically, camp teams is the school would hire uh, groups of college students uh, to, to go to all these different church camps all throughout the Midwest, and our job was to, to serve these church camps uh, while advertising our school. And so I was like, yeah, well, I can do that. That sounds great. He said, awesome. Go pack an overnight bag. We're leaving for training in about five minutes. Uh, and so I went back to my dorm room, and I called my mom, and I was like, hey, mom, uh, remember how we were going to spend all summer together and like hang out? Change of plans. Uh, I got this job. And she was like, okay, what does that mean? I was like, it means I'm not coming home at all this summer. I'll maybe see you in August. You know, she starts crying, right? She's like, my baby's not coming home, right? Uh, and I was like, no, 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 it'll be, all, it'll be all good. So anyways, we did the training, and little did I know uh, that that summer would be one of the most impactful summers of my entire life. Uh, and so because in the second week of, this, of, of camp teams at this, at this church camp, uh, I met this high school student. And uh, we're going to call him Stephen because that was his name. And um, so anyway, Stephen, he was this this kid that didn't really grow up in church at all, right? And mom just kind of shipped him off to church camp for the summer. And uh, Stephen, he was pretty hesitant at the beginning of the week. Uh, But throughout this week and throughout all the, the lessons and the worship and the small groups and everything that you do at church camp, Stephen started to become a little bit more open to who is this, who is this Jesus guy, Who's this God that, that all these people are talking about? I mean, what's this Bible even all about? And so we started asking these, these really, really good questions. And I've been praying for this kid all week. Like, God, just, man, just let me have just like one conversation with this kid. And so he started asking all of these questions. And there's really no other way to explain what happened next besides just this crazy, powerful, real encounter that I had with the Holy Spirit. Because Stephen, uh, we sat down on the last night of camp, and uh, he started firing away all these questions about God and Jesus and the Bible. And he started saying, well, what does the Bible say about this? And what does the Bible say about that? And in this moment, and like I said, I can't really explain it other than just a Holy Spirit thing, but I was able to quote scripture that I had never uh, memorized before, never spent any time memorizing. He would say, "Well, well, what does the Bible say about this? And I would say, well, look here. Well, what does the Bible say about that? And I don't know how to explain it. I was just able to do this. And I just remember in that moment, I kept just praying, God, give me the words to say. God, give me the words to say. God, give me the words to say. And question after question, I was able to answer with a scripture reference after what the, here's what it says. And it was an amazing conversation because in that, in that conversation, Stephen actually placed his faith in Jesus and was baptized that week at camp. So this is week two of our prayer series. You know, in this series, we've been really just trying to ask this question, how's your prayer life? When you step back and examine your prayer life, what do you see? Most people are familiar with prayer, right? I mean, you, you maybe see somebody praying for, um, maybe praying for their food at a restaurant. Or maybe, maybe you've been in a hospital room and you've uh, been praying for someone before a surgery. And even to ask someone, hey, how can I pray for you, is not totally uncomfortable. Because if you have faith in Jesus, you probably understand that prayer is and should be a large part of your prayer life. I mean, Jesus, he modeled for us a life of prayer, 
right? He taught us how to pray. And scripture has a lot to say about prayer. And last week, Danny unpacked a little bit about what prayer is. And he said how prayer is, it's really revealing what's on our hearts and hearing what's on God's heart. But my big question for you guys this morning is this. Do you believe that prayer is powerful? Do you? I think for most of us, we would nod our heads and say, yeah, of course, like prayer is powerful, but do you believe it? You know, I shared that story about Stephen at church camp because it is the most powerful moment of prayer that I've ever experienced in my life. But I wanted to be clear, uh, that was a one-time event in my life, okay? And so if something like that has never happened to you, that does not mean your prayer life isn't up to par, Okay, that does not mean uh, that the Spirit is not active in your life, okay? The Spirit moves in a lot of different ways, and like I said, that was just a one-time thing for me. But I think for many of us, uh, the idea that prayer is powerful, it sounds nice, but that's not really our experience with prayer. Perhaps for many of you, prayer is more of just, it's semantic, right? It's just something that you're, supp- you're supposed to do. We, we pray for our meal, we, we ask God for certain things, and we thank God for certain things, And that is the extent of our prayer life. But I want us to go ahead and open up our Bibles to John chapter 17. So John, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth gospel. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in our passage today, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And I want to read just a segment of that prayer. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 10. It says, all I have is yours. And all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. And I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so Jesus understands here that his time is coming to a close. Because it's shortly after this that Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial. He's going to be beaten and mocked and die by crucifixion. And so he offers this prayer to his disciples, knowing that he is about to leave them and he asks for protection. In verse 11, it tells us that it's a protection that exists because of the name of God, the name of Jesus. See, one of the first things that we need to understand about prayer is that prayer is powerful because of the presence of God. Because I think far too often, I don't know about you guys, but far too often I can have such a narrow view of God. Or when I pray, I I have a hard time bringing to the forefront of my mind of who I'm praying to. And sure, in my mind, I know it's God, and I might even say in the name of Jesus, But do do I remember the power of God, the power that is in his presence? To be able to answer that question, I think you need to ask yourself, well, what is is my view of God? How how do I view him? 
You know, a few years ago, I was at um, the CIY conference for high school students, and a speaker explained some different views of God that people have. Views of God that are ultimately not really healthy views. And the first one was this, that sometimes we view God like a genie, right? That when we pray to God, we view him like a genie, right? We try to rub the magic lamp and we try to get our wishes to come true. Like, oh God, if you could do this, that would be just, oh, that'd be awesome, right? Or God, if you could, if you could do this for me in my life, man, that would make my life so much better. And then I would be freed up really to be able to praise your name and to do more for your kingdom. So we treat God like a genie in that way. Another view that sometimes we have is uh, we, we, tr- we view God like a principal, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I've spent some days in the principal's office. Has anybody else? Just me? All right, cool. I'm really happy that you guys are all perfect. That is fantastic. Uh, man, I spent some time in the principal's office. But if you can remember back to being a kid in, in school, right, and uh, you're doing something that you know you're not supposed to be doing, but you see the principal coming down the office and you just... Nothing to see here, right? <laughs> this, is, this is fine, right? We're, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here, right? That's, that's sometimes that's how we treat God. Like, oh God, I hope you didn't see that one. I know that was wrong, but man, I don't want to be in trouble. Sometimes we view God like a principal. Or far too often, we view God just as an old man in the sky, right? Just this distant being that doesn't really concern himself with very much. Just a long white beard, drinking sweet tea, right? At least that's how I picture God sometimes. <laughs> but he doesn't really concern himself with what goes on in the world. But that is not our God, right? He's not the genie. He's not the principal, and he's not the old man in the sky. And that is not the powerful name that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 17, right? That is not the presence that is powerful. When we think about our God, our God is the almighty Right? He's the all-knowing, the all-loving, and the ever-presence that he's, he's Yahweh. He is Lord. Our God created the universe out of nothing. He just spoke it into existence. Our God was able to part seas and allow his people to, to walk through on dry land. Our God held the sun in the sky. He sent pillars of cloud and fire to guide his people. He established a nation. Man, and our God, he healed the blind. He made the lame walk and the lepers clean. And our God is not subject to death, but rather made death subject to him. That is our God. And our prayers are powerful because God is powerful. There is power in his name. And when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he asked for protection in the name of God, the name that he gave him, which is the name of Jesus. Guys, there's power in prayer, but it's because God is powerful. And so when you think about praying with power, what we're really doing is we are, we are inviting God to be a part of something. If you believe that prayer is powerful because of the presence of God, you are inviting that presence into whatever it is that you are praying for. And when you invite his presence in, you're saying, God, create opportunities, and I won't be an obstacle. You know, I shared that story with Stephen about church camp uh, because I had been praying for Stephen all week. But really what I was asking God to do is I was saying, God, create an opportunity, a moment where this kid that doesn't know you would be open to hearing about you. And when that moment comes, man, I don't want to be in the way. Right, God, use me in that moment, but let it be for your glory. 
right? Because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be solely about you, Jesus. You see, in that moment, I was asking God, give me the words to say, give me the words to say. But I was asking him, I was asking him that because I needed his help so that God would receive the glory, right? I didn't want God to do this amazing thing so I could boast about it. I didn't want to be able to be like, look, everybody, check it out. I saved Stephen. How awesome is that? Check it out. This is so cool. Look what I did. And I wanted Stephen to be able to come to, to people and say, look at how good God is that his grace has saved me. And this is a vital piece of the prayer that Jesus reminds us about in our passage today. In verse 10, he says, and glory has come to me through them. So when you guys stop and think about glory, what comes to mind? I think it's a term that we use quite often, right? We say things like, oh, all glory to God. What does that mean? When you think about glory, I think glory is weight, right? When you give glory something, you give, you give, you're giving it weight in your life. It's this high renown, it's this honor, it's this beauty. So picture, picture a scale for a moment, things that kind of balance things out in your life. What has weight in your life? So how do we, how do, okay, well, how do we measure that? Well, when something has weight, you give it your time. Right? When, you, when you spend time doing something, now all of a sudden that thing has weight in your life. Or maybe, maybe when you give something your money, right? Now, now all of a sudden that thing has weight in your life. Or maybe, maybe when you give something priority, right? When you say no to something in order to do this thing, now all of a sudden that thing has weight in your life. Now, and keep in mind, we, we give weight to all kinds of things in our life. Right? And it's not always bad. I think far too often we jump, uh, we jump straight to all the bad things like, oh, I, I spend way too much time uh, eating junk food or I spend way too much money on things I don't need. But we also give weight to good things in our life, right? So think about your sports teams, right? We buy the merch, we go to the games, we've got the man cave set up, right? You get all of these things. Your sports teams have weight in your life. And Sundays at noon, don't bother me, Right? Because I, I am busy watching the Indianapolis Colts win the Super Bowl, God willing. But our sports teams, they have weight in your life, right? Because guess what? I invest my time. I invest my money. I invest, I invest my priority. I give it priority, right? I say no. Listen, oh, my kid fell off the swing set and broke his arm. It doesn't matter. It's, the, it's the, during the Colts game, right? <laughs> that I give it priority in my life. That that's that now all of a sudden that has weight. And we do that for all types of things, right? We do it for our homes, our cars, our appearance. And, and these are not bad things, but in a way we glorify them because they have weight. So what does that look like when it comes to God? When it comes to God, are you giving God the glory that he deserves, the weight that he deserves? Does his name carry a weight in your life? Does God have your priority, right? Does God have your time? Does God have your resources? Does God have weight in your life? Because so that when you pray and when you invite his presence into something, you are asking for his will to be done and you are asking for things to be done that would bring his name glory, that it would be his will done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, inviting God into something is to remember the power and the presence of God and to give his name glory and the weight that it deserves. 
It's this deep reverence for his name, and it's, and it's a trust in him no matter the outcome. You know, last week, Danny explained prayer uh, kind of like a water faucet, right? And you saw that in our, in our rolling video this morning. Uh, and Danny said, you know, when you're in the kitchen and you're cooking, uh, and you go, to the, you go to the kitchen faucet and you, you flip it open, you don't expect nothing, right? We all expect something to come out, I would hope so. But that's, that's kind of what prayer is like, right? That, that when it, prayer is always available to us. And so when we go to the faucet and we flip it on, it's, it's there for multiple purposes, right? We can, it can clean and, and purify and refresh us. But I think far too often our interaction with prayer is just this, just this slow drip, right? It's just, it's just barely open. And we're busy. We're trying to fill a bucket. And man, it's, it's frustrating, Right? Because we're trying to fill this bucket with just one drip at a time. And we get frustrated, we grow impatient, and we, and we wonder why things aren't happening the way we want to, and we're wondering why things aren't happening as fast as we want them to. But the idea that prayer is powerful is this idea that the full flow of the water faucet is available to us. Because when we invite God's presence into something, we are asking that all of his glory all of his presence, all of his authority, all of his wisdom would be at work. And this is what it looks like to pray with power. It's allowing God to work in his power. And man, we are ready to be obedient. You know, in these verses, in our, in our John 17 passage, you can really hear Jesus hinting at the task at hand. You know, there's, there's this shift coming because remember, Jesus is offering this prayer for his disciples. And the disciples are about to be in this new context that they've never experienced before. Jesus is about to go to the Father. He's about to leave the earth and be united with his Father in heaven. And so he prays for us in our time here and what is to come. He says things like in verse 11, they are still in the world and, pr and protect them by the power of your name. Verse 14, the world has hated them. Verse 15, protect them from the evil one. Because with Jesus stepping out soon, he knows that things are going to change. Because this whole concept of making disciples is going to be the responsibility of the disciples, right? It's going to be kind of on them to be able to move things, move things forward. And with that will come opposition. But man, I love Jesus' heart here. Because he knows that the evil one, Satan, is going to come at them with all the power that he has. But Jesus knows where the greater power is. Right, it's in the name of God. It's in the name that he gave him, the name of Jesus. Because notice, he doesn't pray that, hey, when things get hard, God, just, just remove them from it. Right, he doesn't pray, when things are difficult, man, just, just remove them from the earth. Right, that's not Jesus' prayer. He says that when difficult moments come, protect them. Because he understands that things are going to happen. In verse 15, he says, Man, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus understands that things are going to happen, right? But there are going to be some rough seas. But when they come, he asks for protection. And, that it, and it comes, this protection comes from what we've been talking about all morning. It's the power in God's name. That when opposition comes, man, protect them, guide them, deliver them. You know, it's in these verses that I'm reminded of, of the book of Psalms. Right? It's this, uh, this spirit that, man, that so many of the psalmists understood so well. And you can find so many different psalms that express difficult times that stretch their trust in God. 
But I'm frequently encouraged by Psalms, and I wanted to read for you guys Psalm chapter 13. Here's what it says. It says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, in this psalm, you can really hear the lament of David, right? How things are, things are so difficult that he's in despair. Opposition has come and the evil one has schemed and has had success. His enemies have triumphed over him. But yet David trusts God. David chooses to praise God even in the difficult moments. David chooses to praise God even when it's hard. David chooses to praise God even when it hurts. And why? Because he knows that God has been good to him. David remembers the work of God and he chooses to praise, to trust, to rejoice. And guys, this is in line with what Jesus is saying in John 17. He's saying that we are still in the world Even though Jesus is going to the Father, we are not of the world, and the evil one will still attack. The evil one will still have his schemes. And guess what? There's going to be some moments where he has success. But may we be protected. And no matter how hard things get, may we continually trust God and know the power of God that protects us by the name of Jesus. And may we continue to praise God because he has been good and we rely on the power of the protection that Jesus prayed for. Let's go ahead and move to our time of response this morning. You know, all morning we've been talking about this idea of power. That we can pray with power and that prayer is powerful because God is powerful. And it's this presence of God and that the glory and all the, name that, all the glory that his name deserves. And it's, a, it's this power that gives the protection that Jesus asked for. And it's this presence that ultimately we can invite into something. Now, I don't know what your guys' experience with prayer is. Maybe you, maybe you don't pray at all. Maybe you just find yourself praying when you're supposed to. Maybe you, maybe you pray a lot. I'm not sure. But man, this morning, I wanted to end by asking a question. What do you expect when you pray? You know, there's this notion that you can pray expectantly. But what do you expect? Guys, if you hear anything this morning, hear this. The power of prayer is not in our words. It's in the presence of God. There isn't some magic combination of words and phrases that you have to say to be able to invite God into something. But when you invite him in, when you say, God, be a part of this, Let your will be done and I will give you all of the glory. I will give you all of the weight. 
I will give you everything that you deserve. When you invite his presence into something and the power that that presence brings, the power of God, man, what do you expect? Do you, do you expect God to be able to answer your prayers as you see fit? Or are you expecting God to be God and to, for us to humbly submit to whatever will bring him glory? And man, when we invite his presence into something, when we say, God, be a part of this, are we ready to bend to his will or are we busy trying to bend the will of God to ours? I think far too often when we invite God into something, we have these, these expectations that, God, I know how you should do this. Man, and in that case, are we really letting God be God or are we trying to be God? Because what's your reaction if God answers a prayer differently than you expect? Do we get frustrated? Do we get mad? Do we get confused? And guys, this applies all over the place. There are so many different issues that we pray for. And sometimes we pray for good things. God, help us conceive a baby. God, help me to love my enemies. God, help my marriage, help my kids, help. I don't know what your issue is this morning, right? But fill in the blank. What are you expecting when you pray? Now, I don't, I don't know the outcome and I'm not, I'm not saying that, oh man. But I think far too often we carry our own expectations when we invite God into something. But hear me say the power of prayer is not in our words, it's in the presence of God. Because in our prayers, man, do we trust him? Do we trust God no matter the outcome? Are we like the psalmist that says, that like David said in Psalm 13, God, this is so hard. My enemies have had so much success. They've triumphed over me and I am just, I'm at my wit's end, but God, I will still trust you because I know that you have been good to me. And so in our prayers, do we, do we remember how good God has been? Do we remember the gift of Jesus? Do we remember that God loved you so much that he said, you know what? You can have my son in place of this. That we can have life in place of death. That we can have grace in place of our sin. That God has been good. And man, do we remember that goodness and do we, do we trust in God? And when we invite his presence and his power and we ask God to do something, do we trust him? You know, each week, each week we take communion. And man, I don't know about you guys, but there are, there are a lot of Sundays when I can come in here and I can sit in these seats and I can, I can miss this because we, we do it every week, right? It can quickly become just a routine. And man, I am asking that you guys take a moment we remember how good God has been. And that we would trust him. And that 
when we invite him into something, when we invite his presence and the power that comes in his name, that we would remember. We would remember all of that. Because that's what communion is, is. Communion is remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, on the last night when Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. And he was like, man, you know, this is, this is remembering my body that will be broken for you. And so if this is your first time joining with us or your thousandth time joining with us, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. Like I said, he took that bread. He said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. And may we remember the sacrifice of Jesus together. You know, we call this time our time of response. That's intentional because that's what worship is, is it's our response to God. And we worship in many different ways. We worship through songs. We worship through remembering uh, the sacrifice of Jesus together in communion. We worship by, by studying his word and growing in our faith and placing our faith in him. We respond by by giving of our tithes and our offerings. And so, man, we invite you to do that, whether uh, in one of the give and respond boxes around the room or through the, the Give app. But we remember that God has been generous with us. So we give back to him. But guys, may this time of worship, you know, these words up on the screens, they're not just there for us to read. But man, may we worship Jesus together. May we exalt his name together. And so I challenge you to sing out, raise your hands as a sign that Jesus is above everything and anything in my life, right? Let's express our worship to God together today as we worship him as one body, as the church. May we lift the name of Jesus together. Let me pray for us and then we will worship together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the power that is in your name. And God, I pray that as we we pray with power, God, we remember that the power is in your presence. And God, so many times we've we've got big prayers that need big answers. But God, when we pray, may our expectation be that you would be God, that you would work it out, that it would be your will to be done and not ours. God, that no matter what the answer is, that we would trust you, we would remain obedient, and we would continue to humbly worship you, Jesus. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. It's in your name I pray.